Good morning to you. Uh, my name is Jim Wimberley, and uh, I'm on staff here at Watermark and Pastoral Care. And uh, we'd like to welcome each one of you and just thank you for being a part of our uh, session this morning on how we can uh, look and, uh, at hope and just how we can experience that and pass that hope on uh, to uh, others who are in the midst of a health crisis. And, you know, whether you're the one struggling with a health crisis <coughs> here today or if you're a caregiver or if you're just a friend or a family member of someone that's struggling with a health issue, we are so glad that you're here with us today. So let me pray for us before we get started, okay? Father, just uh, thank you for every person that's uh, in this room this morning. And I know there's a lot of different needs and uh I don't know what they are, but you do. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you that you are an awesome, powerful God, and uh, you are capable of just healing every physical disease and every spiritual disease. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to uh, come out of this session this morning just more fully understanding the hope that doesn't uh, disappoint that when we have Jesus Christ uh, uh, in our lives, he is the hope that anchors our souls. And, Father, we just pray that you would bless uh, every person that's here today. And, uh, Lord, let this time be beneficial and helpful uh, to each person. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we have a ministry here at Watermark called uh, Refuge, and uh, it was formed to provide hope to those uh, that with terminal and, and chronic illnesses. And it was uh, originally started back in 2013 by a young lady by the name of Jackie Miller and her husband, Adam. And uh, she suffered from cystic fibrosis. And uh, that, that family just uh, simply wanted to honor the Lord and encouraged others as they stirred the trials that uh, God had allowed them to experience. Uh, they have since uh, moved to Florida just because the climate is, uh, is much better for her disease, but uh, they developed a leadership team, several of whom you're going to meet uh, this morning, uh, while they were here, and that was really the start of the ministry. And uh, when they moved away, we needed some directional team leaders, so uh, we went to Dan and Deborah Frazier uh, and asked them to assume that responsibility, even though Deb was in the midst of a, uh, a grueling battle with leukemia, and she had just come off of a, a two-year fight with uh, breast cancer. And uh, Deb was the first to encourage all of us on the team with uh, our verse that's kind of our theme verse for refuge, which is Psalm 46.1, which says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in the time of trouble. And uh, she would used, used to say, uh, hey, uh, I don't care what you're experiencing with God on your side, who can be against you? And you know the answer to that question is no one, you know, can. Uh, I want to show you a uh, picture of uh, Deb here. Here's a collage 
of, of Deb and her strong abiding faith in Jesus Christ was an inspiration to all of us along with her being a living testimony over here at Medical City Dallas while she was struggling with leukemia uh, she would leave her hospital room and come to our refuge meetings and uh, lead worship and and teach and she would remind each of us uh, of the hope that we had in Jesus and also too that we had a job to do while we were still here on earth and uh, while Deb was on earth uh, she definitely looked at uh, life through God glasses uh, and that's the lens of scripture uh, Jesus was the hope that anchored her soul but after that violent, uh, valiant fight that she had, God took her to heaven, and now she is experiencing the joys of eternal life. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me uh, the uh, crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. And Deb finished the race well, and uh, that's what we hope we can help you and those you love do this morning. And here to talk about what God's Word says about hope and how we can finish the race of life well is Deb's husband, Dan Frazier. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. It is sure my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, as I see those photos of Deb, I'm just almost taken aback and going, wow, I forgot so many things. You can see uh, she was a teacher in college, and you can see her overheads much more dramatic than mine. So, uh, But it, it, is, uh, it is so good to be here. I want to talk about hope. But we want to talk about biblical hope, <clears throat> which means it's a uh, hope without disappointment. Now, we all know about hope that disappoints. We, uh, we all say in a, in a verb, I hope something. And if it's, uh, if it's in medical terms, uh, I remember talking to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on yet, but it's in... Uh, it's in a late stage, and late stage is just bad, right? And so I remember thinking, oh, I hope it's not that bad. I hope, I hope, I hope. And then as Deb and I started looking at what hope really was, we realized it's not us. It's God that gives us, uh, that gives us hope. Uh, I, I was reading a definition of disappointment, <clears throat> and they used the word hope in disappointment. Disappointment is the sadness you feel when your hopes are not fulfilled. So I read on a little further in the article, and they said, if you want to avoid disappointment, stop hoping so much. But I have to tell you, God made us to hope. You know, God, this isn't everything. You know, I mean, you think the God of hope, he didn't say to the people in Egypt, hey, suck it up, learn to be good slaves. He goes, I have a land that I've already given you. You're going to the promised land. And when he gets up in, in uh, uh, Exodus 33, 34, and, and God and, and Moses are talking, and God says, 
I'll let the people go, but I'm not going to go with them. And Moses said, oh, no. And essentially what he says is the promised land without the God of promise is no promised land. We're a people of hope. We have to get through that. But how do we deal with, uh, with hope all the time? Uh, as I think of some of this hope that disappoints, I think of those doctors when we had been fighting for 12 or 14 months. And he said, she's getting better. I mean, much better. Wow. I mean, the doctor said it. It has to be true, right? Nah. It was good for about two weeks. You know, and it just kept up and down, up and down. I had a friend that I worked with. I traveled quite a bit. And every four a month, four or five months, I'd go see my friend Tim. And uh, one time while I was seeing him, he says, you know, I'm having a terrible time with my wife. I said, what, what's going on? He goes, well, she expects me to come home at a, at a regular time every day. I said, oh, she always wants you there at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. And he said, no, no, I can tell her what time I'm going to be home. I can tell her I'll be home at 10 o'clock. And she'd be happy. But I'm never home when I say I'm going to be home. I said, well, I'm just a manager of this television station. I just can't go home when I want to. And I said, well, I'll pray for you. He said, you know, I've never asked anybody to pray for me, but that would be nice. Four or five months later, I go back and say, Tim, How's Molly doing? He goes, well, I I thought I had a solution. I said, look, honey, don't expect me home ever. And then when I show up, you'll be happy. I said, well, how'd that go? He goes, we signed the divorce papers last week. I've got my first date tonight. But, I mean, you just think of things like in marriage and you go, and, and I, I have to confess, I thought, when Deb and I get in really dark times, I'm going to have Tim over for dinner. All he has to do is talk five minutes, and she's going to be so appreciative of me. Right? <laughs> he never made it to Dallas, and we never did it, but I will confess I had that, I had that thought. But that's the, that's the whole deal of if we put our hopes in somebody else, They have no control over it. We have no control over it. And when somebody says, I love you, we sometimes think that that I love you means the same as when we say, I love you. And it doesn't. Or when somebody says, I'll take care of you. It doesn't always mean what it means when I say, I'll take care of you. So we put our hopes in the the wrong places. When I was growing up, I was in middle school, junior high. And I played on a basketball team. And I was okay in basketball. Not the best, but okay. I mean, I should have been first string, but no. I'm there, and we're playing. And at the end of, of every practice, we always had this routine. You know, three seconds left. You've got the ball. Three, two, one. You shoot, and you make it, you know. Well, we're in a game. And we're there, the coach calls a timeout three seconds late, uh, left on the clock. And he huddles us all together. And I'm, I'm on his left, left like, and we're all in there talking. And you know what he's going to say is, get it in, and whoever gets it, pass it to somebody. And he's going to take the shot. So somebody, make sure you're open. He's got his arm around me. He squeezes my shoulder. 
and says, okay, when it comes in and he pulls me in and in that split second while he's pulling me in, I'm going, this is it. Three seconds left. They're going to pass me the ball. And in my heart, I knew I was going to be the next Michael Jordan. I knew I was going to drop that ball right through the net, not even touching the rim. And he pulls me in. Then he looks at me and he gets this startled look. He goes, what are you doing here? Tommy, Tommy, I need, Tommy, I need you. Get the ball to Tommy. And I go sit on the bench. I'm going, you talk about disappointment. Well, you, you might imagine I never got to the NBA. But I was so disappointed because that's what I thought life was, was all about. But it's not. There is a, uh, there is a gift uh, there is a hope that is given by God that is not sourced in positive thinking. But it's a hope that does not disappoint. And the difference with this hope is that <clears throat> it is not a verb. When I use the word hope, I go, I hope, and then whatever comes after that. This is a noun that God has given us. God has given us hope, his hope, and it does not does not disappoint. Romans 5.5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. See, it's, it's God's gift. It's all on him. It's everything that we need. It's a, it's a noun. It's the foundation of hope, realizing that it's that. See, it's not I hope, but I have hope. Uh, and it's given to us in, in Hebrews 6. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Not the hope that we can muster up inside of us, but it's God's hope. We have, this is a sure and a steadfast anchor for our soul. It's amazing. Now, I will tell you... If, we have, as Jim said, this ministry of refuge. This is our core verse. It is a ministry of hope for the chronically ill and caregivers. So what I say is we have six or seven people over there that could finish this talk at any time if something happens to me because it's that core in our ministry. If we don't have hope, what do we have to share? And it's not a hope that just kind of ekes out, you know. I have that hope someplace here now. I know I have it. It's not something we have to search for. It's not so tiny. It's, it's not so small that we can misplace it. I think of 2 Kings chapter 4 when Elisha is out ministering and a widow comes to him and says, My husband's died. But he used to be a member of the sons of the prophets. And Elisha knew them very well. So he says, what do you have? And she said, I have a little flask of oil in my home. A little flask. And he says, well, here's what you do. You go to all your neighbors and you borrow as many vessels, as many jars as you can. If you can find a 30-gallon jar, get it. If you can find a 10-gallon jar, 5-gallon jar, whatever it is, Get them all into your house, then you and your sons. Because your problem was, 
the creditor had knocked on her door and said, I need to be paid or I'm going to take your two sons as slaves. And so she said, that can't happen. So they go, they, sh- they borrow all the jars, they shut themselves up in their home behind the doors, and it says they start pouring. She starts pouring. And as she pours, they brought vessels to her. And when all the vessels were full, the oil stopped. And she says, bring me another vessel. Quick, quick, it's still going, right? It's not stopping. And they say, there's not another one to bring. And then the oil stopped. The NLT says that uh, the sons kept bringing her vessels. And very soon, they were all full to the brim. So can you imagine how much has to be coming out of this little flask to fill all that stuff? God doesn't do anything in a small way. Everything is just going, going. So my question is, what is that verse teaching us? What is that story telling us? Uh, You want to be married to somebody that works in the church. Uh, When they die, you want to look for a flask that has oil. You know, what's the application? The God of our salvation takes care of us. The secret is not in the flask. The secret is not in the prophet. The secret is in the God of promise, the one that gives us hope. So I think we need a new definition when we say hope, what we're talking about. Confident expectation based on God's gift, God's love, God's sovereignty, and poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? It's nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with God, right? God's get confident expectation based on God's gift, God's love, God's sovereignty, and the fact that it's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? This is what Scripture has always been about. I know you read through Scripture and you go, I don't see that. But look at Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I filled my car with gasoline over 3,000 times in my life. And only one time did people get around it and they were just amazed at me filling my car with gas. It's because when I was filling my car with gas, I realized my next stop was to get some milk. So while it was filling, I ran in and got some milk. And I came out and there was this group of people around my car. And as I got close to the car, I could smell gasoline. And they're all eyes wide open, and one of them is downhill, and the gasoline's coming, mixing with his shoes. I mean, and he goes, hey, buddy, your gas tank's overflowing. And so I stopped it somehow. I know I got gas all over me. But I came to realize 2,999 times I filled my tank, and nobody cared. But when it's overflowing... It draws attention. And I'm telling you that when our lives overflow with God's hope, people notice. What's different about you? 
Deb took her hospital room and made it into a hospitality suite. People would come in and they'd say, oh, I'm just here to check your vitals. And she'd say, oh, well, how's Molly? How's Tom? How's George? How? And then they would start talking. And I remember one time on the 11th floor <clears throat> at Medical Cities, I'm coming in and I hear this, this guy just singing at the top of his voice. And it's like uh, old rugged cross. You know, it was one of those old faithful ones. And as I get closer to Deb's room, it's getting louder. And I go in there. And this guy who's got a mop in his hand, I kind of think it looks like a microphone, he is just belting out that song. And he finishes and Deb says, oh, Thomas, I want you to meet my husband, Dan. Dan, Thomas used to sing in a choir and do solos. Hasn't been to church for a while, but he says he's going to get back with the Lord. He's going to know what's going on. He's going to start going back to church and he's going to glorify God with his voice again. Didn't you think he sounded great? I'm going... Did anybody tell you you were sick? Did anybody tell you you're in a hospital bed and you're not expected to get out of it? I mean, did anybody say your last checkups were bad? The doctor said you're not getting better, you're getting worse. I mean, all that's going through my mind and she's just worried about Thomas singing for God in church again. She was overflowing with hope. Another time, we're sitting there talking. This lady comes in, I think her name was Gladys. And she says, I don't work on this floor. I work on the floor downstairs on 10. But I was talking to my friend, and she says, you're just amazing. So I had to come in and see what's so amazing about you. And Deb said, there is nothing amazing about me. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? So I used to go to church way back. Next thing you know, they're talking about family, and her girls are in college, and something else is going on. And uh, I mean, I couldn't understand. They were talking the girl language, you know. So I kind of sit back. But it was so interesting how this woman came in and said, I just want to meet you. And within 30 seconds, she's pulled up a chair next to the bed, sitting down there holding Deb's hand, you know, like she's taking her pulse, but not. Deb just had this way of overflowing and drawing people in. But she couldn't do it by herself. She had to have... God's hope. She had to have that, not magical, but that supernatural trait that we only find in Jesus Christ. And so that's what's important as we look at at steps uh, going through. God has designed hope to overflow in our hearts, but it doesn't start off that way. Notice, leading up to verse 5, therefore, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. So we're already justified by faith, which means made righteous before God. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we also have obtained this access into this grace in which we now stand. And I have to tell you, sometimes standing in grace means sitting in a wheelchair or lying in a hospital bed, or doing something. You know, I'm just going to run to the store and not worry about anything. I don't have to put on any makeup, and there you see the person that says, can we talk? My son was just found with drugs and whatever. Whatever crisis is going on, it's that hope that overflows in our heart that doesn't come scheduled when we need it. It is always there. 
And we boast in this hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in the sufferings. And here are the steps that we see. Once we've accepted Christ, that's crucial. We're all sinners. He sent his son to die in our stead. We accept him and we become adopted sons and daughters. Then we get to this place where we rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering leads to or produces endurance or perseverance. Now, anytime I hear endurance or perseverance, I always think of a place I don't want to be. You know, we're going to do an endurance run today. Okay, from here to that door. You know, no, it just keeps going and going and going. We want it to be over, but God says it can't be over because I haven't made you into that son or daughter I want you to be because you're going to be able to share your faith with with someone else. Okay. Um, And so we're in that endurance, and then he says, I know that endurance or that perseverance gives character. And then that character gives hope, and that hope from God does not disappoint. I want it now. I want all of it, but I want it now. You know, God says, it'll come. It'll come. I've been waiting. I mean, 15 minutes already she's been in the hospital. You know, I could not have taken, I don't think, four years if he just said, it's only going to be four years. So God develops hope. We already have been, thank you, justified by faith. We have peace with God. We've gained access and we're standing in this grace that when somebody says, what does standing in grace look like? I don't think of wheelchairs and hospital beds and pain, you know? God made it easier for me in that fourth year It was probably three and a half years and Deb was sick and weak, but not in pain. In 2017, she was in the hospital 152 nights. I stayed with her 148 nights. And I cannot tell you what I did on those four nights. Why wasn't I there? I don't know. But I mean, there was no place else I I wanted to be. But it takes a while to get all that stuff. And she was able to stay to say, you want to know what standing in grace is? Look at me. I'm happy. I could not be happier. I mean, I remember times when we had been married 20 or 30 years. We could vacation any place. We could do just about anything we wanted to. And she wasn't near as happy in those years as she was having this hope. I didn't tell you when Jim and John and I met and, and he said, uh, would you look at becoming one of the directors of this ministry called Refuge, a ministry of hope for the chronically ill and the caregivers? And I said, I don't know. I mean, caregiving was enough for me, right? And they said, would you pray about it? And I said, huh, sure, I'll pray about it. And back of my mind, I'm going... There is no way that's going to happen. I have such a full plate. I have never been busier. 
I had to hire people to do the job that I had been doing before she got sick. I mean, I was, I just didn't have any time. I was happy being with her, but I couldn't see adding anything else to it. So I got to the hospital room, and she said, how'd the meeting go? I said, ah, it went okay. I was going to drop it at that. She said, well, what happened? I said, well, Jim asked me to ask us if we would consider being part of this ministry for the chronically ill, a ministry of hope for the chronically ill and caregivers. And I didn't even get caregivers out, and Deb screamed. I know they had to hear her down the, down the hall. And she said, God is not done with me. I have a ministry. He's not put me on a shelf. He has something for me to do. And I knew right then the praying was over. You know, I, I just never saw somebody that excited from a hospital bed to say, sure, I'll take on this new ministry. But that was her overflowing. But isn't that the way it's always been? Tribulations, perseverance, proven, and then hope that does not. You think of all the main characters of the Bible, and that's it. Romans 15, do you realize everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I got to tell you, I read numbers to children of Israel wandering in the desert and all I go is, man, they were stupid. You know, I mean, don't they ever catch on? And I'm sure there are people looking at my life and going, He's stupid. Doesn't he ever catch on? He keeps doing the same things. But everything that was written was so that we might have hope. So what are we going to do now? My my third point is now that we have hope, what does our life look like? And I'm saying the ministry God has given me is refuge. The purpose is to bring individuals and families together that have been affected by chronic health issues to be encouraged, equipped, and sharpened by God's word. We meet the first Thursday of every month, and it is a blast. I'll tell you what's so good is people come in, they just got the bad news, or they're battling. They don't get to go to their community groups. Nobody understands them. They come in, and I get to talk for a couple of minutes. And then we break into these small groups where leaders have questions that they ask and prod and get the stories. And by the time that hour and a half is over, I mean, nobody's uh, lowering their head, being sad. I mean, everybody's, and the women, we need to make that like a three-hour session. They just go and go, and I think, oh, you know, like the men, they're just talking about the cowboys. Man, they are praying, sharing. What, What do you need here, and what's going on here? We have... We have the most faithful women. I'll tell you, just like Deb. Men, I don't want to discourage you, but hour and a half is about the most we can do as men, okay? Uh, but that, what we don't do is we're not here to share tips and remedies and medical and financial advice and who's got the best doctor and where's the best hospital. And, you know, somebody told me, Dan, you got to take better care of your wife. You've got to take these peach pits and grind them up in a, in a blender and put them in something and do something else and, and then make sure she's, they're going to taste horrible. She's going to hate them, but you got to make sure to get them in her body so that she'll be healed. 
if you're looking for that, refuge is not the place. God is a God of hope. And that's what we promote. Brave hearts. Brave hearts are those that are chronically ill. And I kind of look at John 9. When the blind man is there and the disciples say, Lord, who has sinned, this man or his, or his parents? There has to be some reason that this person's sick. And he goes, no, it's for the glory of God. Or for caregivers, those that take care of those that are ill. Mark 2, when four men bring a paralytic to see Jesus, he can't get there by himself. And so the caregivers have to bring him for his spiritual time. I don't know what button to push on this. I'm so sorry. We're trying to make sure we have plenty of time for questions uh, at at the end. So I'm going to wrap up here with some things that we want to do with this hope that we found in in Christ. Uh, We're rejoicing, standing in grace. Romans 5.17 says, we're going to reign in life. And this whole chapter is about one man, Adam, bringing sin into the world and the world being ruled by death. And then one man, Jesus, coming and giving life, abundant life to all. And 17 says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. God hasn't put us here to exist. You know, thank you, Lord, that I have breath today. What am I going to do with that breath? Where am I overflowing in my hope? You know, I have neighbors that I want to share Jesus Christ with. I have grandkids that I want to share Jesus Christ with. I am not happy saying, thank you just for breath or just hook me up to a ventilator. No, life, and as Jesus said, I've come for abundant life. We are to reign through Jesus Christ. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then verse 2 says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the, and the earth uh, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and quake with the surging waters. We will not fear. Why? Because our hope is in God. We're confident. If this is based on God's love, what happens if I can't keep God's love? 838 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to keep us from the love of God. That is how secure my hope is. That is how secure our salvation is. Now, Meg, I always pick you for this last verse. I, I have so many good verses in refuge, always because, are you the one that shared this? She shared, and I just went, how could I not know this verse? We don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, 
inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary trouble, they're achieving for us this eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is not seen or unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things unseen are eternal. God has given us everything. I can't wait. For the next refuge, I can't wait to go grocery shopping and see somebody in a cart because I'm always able to say, can I help you get anything? No, no, it just takes me a little longer, but I can. Oh, now, are you in a wheelchair normally? No, but I'm just so sick. Well, do you go to church? Do you have a faith? Well, I used to, but I, and we get in this conversation, and by the time the conversation's over, he or she is saying, isn't God amazing? I forgot how God how good God really is. I mean, he is great. So what we've arranged for is for four of our refuge leaders to come up and you guys get to ask them questions. The tough questions that says, hey, what's it really like when you talk to a doctor? What's it really like when, you know, your wife is however, sorry, sorry. Uh, And... And they'll just take it and, and go from here. So uh, if, keep track of your clock, which I'm not real good at doing. But if you get out and, you know, and have to go because you have to pick up kids or something, we'll understand. We'll take your names. Don't, but, but feel free if you need to go to go. So would you guys just say your name and whether you're a Braveheart or a caregiver? My name's Tony Haynes, and I'm a Braveheart. My name is Meg Whitaker, and I am a Braveheart and a caregiver. I'm Evan Wakefield, and I'm a caregiver. David Ashley, and I'm a Braveheart. Okay, how about any questions? Is there anything on, on health care or just hope in life generally? Things that you're just, gosh, how does this work out? Do you ever get depressed? Well, let's start with that one. That was the one with me. Do you ever have down times? Absolutely. Uh, my, my story, in a nutshell, is I had just retired from 35 years of being a firefighter, and five months to the day after I retired, I found a lump in my throat, golf ball size lump. Six weeks later, I was diagnosed with cancer and uh, was going through treatment and uh, Started coming to refuge and got encouragement, and uh, I had a faith at the time. Uh, had a faith at the time and was uh, church going and still continued through through treatment as long as I could, and uh, was receiving, actually placing my hope, as opposed to in those five months we were hoping for the next trip and hoping to refinish this part of the house or that. And uh, as Dan said, uh, I was now focusing on having the hope that is, that is in me through my faith in Christ. And uh, downtimes, yeah, the, the, one of the verses that sustained me through the downtimes was that uh, in him was life. And uh, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So... 
there's always peaks and valleys, but if, if you put your hope in your faith and in Christ, you can get through them. Just real quickly to add to that, on either side of illness, whether you're a caregiver or in what we call somebody who's going through chronic illness as a brave heart, uh, it can be an extremely isolating time in life. Um, there's a lot of people around you that probably maybe don't relate very well. I know for me, when I became a caregiver at the age of 22, uh, people around me just, they had never taken care of their parents. They were still focused on the college party or um, social life or keeping up an image. And, and for me, my entire world just kind of imploded a little bit. And that was really hard. Um, and just as a word of encouragement, kind of what Brett and Chrissy said today, like for people who are going through that or for if you're going through that, know if you need that yourself, which I think is absolutely uh, something that we all need. We all need community. We all need encouragement. We all need people in our lives to point us to God and scripture. Um, but likewise, for somebody else that's going through that as well, just straight up being there, not even saying anything, um, just being a shoulder to cry on uh, can be something that changes a person's heart. Um, and it changed my heart, other believers doing that with me. Uh, and, and it brought me out of the what was the pit that I was in, and it was, it was amazing. Um, so I highly recommend what Brett and Chrissy said. Um, but, yeah, there's dark times, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. Um, but I can, I can say now, um, even though I still have dark times, I have people around me, and I know that God is working good in my situation as a caregiver and, and through my mom. Um, and I have that hope, which is awesome. Uh, but, and I can, I can tell you that it's probably one of the best things that God did for me in my life because it saved me from a path of, of, of sin and, and brokenness and broken relationships. And he used that to, to bring me into a relationship with him. And so no matter what situation you're going through, how hard it is, God is using that in some way. It's not always going to be super evident while you're going through it. And that's why you have to have that hope. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the truth about it. It's, it's hard. Cool. And I remember when Evan came in and talked about his mom accepting Christ, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the furthest thing. You know, it's like, just get her well, just get her taken care of, just, uh, and then, gosh, how good is our God, you know? I'll reiterate one thing Aaron said, that it has been a, our struggle, my struggle with cancer and my family's struggle, has ended up being a blessing. Looking back, it has been a blessing. We're, our marriage is stronger. Our, our relationship with our kids are stronger, and, and certainly my relationship with God is stronger. You know, it's a big thing to realize if you're going through a crisis, then you're just one-third of your life because, you know, we're either coming out of one, in one, or about to go into one. You know, so it's just a cycle that goes all the time. And I know for my life, it was, am I the only one doing this? Am I the only one doing this? Okay, here's the, here's the question. He's a brave heart. He looks so healthy. Are you lying about? No. He looks so healthy that everybody's going, what can be wrong with him? But he's a brave heart. And his question is, does God expect 
something different from him than anybody else? I'm, I'm not a Braveheart, but I think in, in any regards, uh, God doesn't want us to put this image up that we, of something that we aren't. Um, and in the same way, like, we're to be authentic with one another. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not your fault that you're in the situation that you're in. I don't, I don't think that anybody should be putting some sort of expectation on you. I think the only expectation that God has for all of us is to be faithful and obedient and to love him. Uh, and to not be uh, blunt, worried about what other people think about us, and that's that's tough. Um, it's something that I worry about. I mean, one of my greatest fears as a caregiver uh, is what a doctor would say. Uh, like, if he thinks, like, I have this fear of man that a doctor is going to tell me that I'm not taking care of my mom well, when I know that's absolutely not the truth, but it's still this innate fear that's inside of me, and so... I've learned that I've had to push that out through kind of scripture and, and tell myself that that's a lie that the enemy's telling me um, in this moment of my life. And so I, I don't think that anybody uh, should be putting this expectation on you. And I think the only expectations that God has from us is to have faith in his son. So, um, and to draw close to him. Uh, and in those moments in, in Hebrews, I mean, we have a, a savior who is, uh, empathizes with our weaknesses, and that means being authentic and honest about our weaknesses, and just telling him, "Hey, God, my I hate this. <laughs> this sucks, um, but I know that you love me, and I know that you have a plan for me, and and that's that's kind of where we draw our hope from in that moment, and and everything else is is not as important as that. Yeah. How about Meg? I take one look at Meg, and I go, "She can't be sick. She's gorgeous." That's, I, I was going to touch on that, too. Not that I'm gorgeous, but that, um, <laughs> that that's the same reaction that I get often is, you're not sick. You look normal, you know? And, but yet the way that my body feels and the way my mind feels quite often is not, it doesn't match what's on the outside. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that's most encouraging to me, and if you are in community, hopefully you can do this, but... Um, we just processed the same idea this week that, you know, I feel like I'm not understood by the vast majority of people. And I feel like I should not be allowed, if you will, to, to be upset by my illness and by my circumstance. And they continue to remind me, you know, that the Lord created us. He was able to knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every single thing about us. And he made us perfectly for him, you know. And so when I think about my flaws and my circumstance and my illness, and I get frustrated with that and people don't understand, I have to remember that I'm made in the image of the Lord and that his purpose will be done through me, but that I have to continue to be encouraged that he knows everything about my life, every single struggle, and you know, whether it's mental, physical, health, emotional, he knows it all, and he placed it in me so that I can continually have hope in him, and that 
just like we talked about this morning, you know, I'm not going to get through this alone. The more I go through, the more I have to lean on the Lord. And that is a continual struggle when you have a chronic illness because it doesn't get better and sometimes are worse. And in those times that are worse, when I'm in a valley, I have to be that much closer to the Lord so that I can discern his voice. Back to your question, uh, I don't think God expects anything more out of you because of your illness. He expects out of you what he does all of us that, that have faith. He wants us to, to share that faith. And I look at my illness as an opportunity to do that. It's an opportunity to uh, discuss intimate things because people ask you about it. And it's an opportunity to, to get real personal and an opportunity to share God. So, All right, it's, it's about 12 o'clock, so uh, let me close in prayer. But before I do, I want to point out we do have a resource table back there just so you can see some of the things that have helped us uh, by other writers. Uh, there are a couple of watermark news. I am one of them, and I will tell you that my wife was most upset at me when I came to the hospital after that watermark news came out, and uh, she said, well, did everybody say anything? And I said, you know, and for you that don't come to watermark, it's where your picture's right in the front of the, the watermark news. And I said, you know, nobody was saying anything to me. So I, I took the watermark news and I just went around like this. And she said, oh, I'll never be able to go back there again. And after four years of being with her, I was shocked that she would believe I would do that. But, you know, she knows me better than I know myself. So uh, we meet on Thursday evenings, the first Thursday of the month uh, in the next building, the East Building on the first floor. And the third Monday of every month, we have a prayer time. We get together and just pray for the people in, in refuge. So third, what I say? Monday? That's Regen. Okay, always on Thursday. Thank you so much. Father, I would just ask a blessing on each heart that's here. Lord, I don't know the crisis that are represented in this room, but I know that you are sufficient to take care of them. So, Father, just put your hope, just pour it into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, thank you for their attention, their care, and I would just ask a special blessing for their time here today. Give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.